Hello, kindred spirits. Welcome to our podcast, where two grown-ass ladies geek out about Anne of Green Gables. I'm Reagan Duffy, and I'm joined by my Kindred Spirits Book Club co-host, Kelly Gurner. Hey, Reagan. Hey, Kindred Spirits. Kelly, guess who's here? Hi, Kelly. Hi, Kindred Spirits. Hi, Alice. That's right. I brought my daughter, Alice, today because she has some expertise to share for this episode. Yay! Welcome to the podcast, Alice Duffy Leff. Alice is definitely our kindred spirit of the episode. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Alice. Hi, I'm 10 years old, and I really love acting, animals, horseback riding, and reading. I'm also a Girl Scout, and I play the flute. I'm so excited to be here today. I've wanted to be on the podcast since my mom started it. Yay! (laughs) Well, we're excited to finally have you. So Alice, as you know, every episode, we like to share a favorite quote from Anne of Green Gables. Do you have one that you'd like to read for us today? I think this quote is so funny because I love Marilla's response. Anne says, here's a big bee just tumbled out of an apple blossom. Just think what a lovely place to live, an apple blossom. Fancy going to sleep in it uh, while the wind was rocking it. If I wasn't a human girl, I think I'd like to be a bee and live among the flowers. Here's Marilla's response. Yesterday you wanted to be a seagull, sniffed Marilla. I think you are very fickle-minded. That is a very funny quote. And it reminds me a little bit of you when you were younger. You were always pretending to be an animal. And for a while you were really obsessed with talking to the sun or the moon or making me answer for whatever heavenly body you were talking to. So, Alice, we know that you've read and watched a lot of Anne of Green Gables over the past couple of months. Can you tell us all about which books you've read and which shows you've watched? I've watched the movie and the TV show, and I've read all three graphic novel adaptations. I also read Anne of Green Gables with annotations. And what do you think of Anne? I think that if Anne lived in modern times, I could picture her as my best friend. I love all of her mishaps and adventures, and I like how she finds beauty in pretty much everything. Oh, I love that about her too, Alice. And I'm really, really delighted that you have also found a friend in Anne Shirley. So talk to us about how you liked the book, Anne of Green Gables, like the book itself, the original. This is a lot different from the books that I usually read. I usually read fantasy and sci-fi books and sometimes realistic fiction too, pretty much all with like some kind of plot and an adventure, but modern realistic fiction, not old fiction. I was surprised, but I found out that I like the old-fashioned writing because I like acting, so it's fun because it's like an old-fashioned movie or play that I get to be in. I didn't love the parts where nothing was happening, where it was just description, because I want something to happen all the time, like the adventure in the books that I usually read. But I loved mishaps like the amethyst brooch and the green hair incident. Alice, I think when I was your age and I read this book for the first time, I felt much the same way. And a lot of the sort of slower passages where not a lot happened were not my favorite parts. And I think sometimes when I would reread it, I would just skip over it. And it's been fun to come back to it throughout the years of my life and like appreciate those more. So maybe that will happen with you too. I think that's true for me too. I think when I was younger and I read it, I was skipping straight to like the fun parts. Right. Or the funny parts. Mm -hmm. And I kind of speed read through some of those more longer, more descriptive paragraphs. And it's so funny because now that's what I really love about the book, right? As I'm sure our listeners know, because so many of the quotes of the episode we pick are those really descriptive passages. 
Exactly. Exactly. Just goes to show how your tastes change in reading as you grow up. And it goes to show how accessible this book is for like a variety of ages, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's why it just continues to be a classic for so many generations. Yeah. So Alice read The Owl's Nest Annotated Anne, which we had mentioned a few episodes back. And we have a really fun surprise coming up in a future episode. We will be joined by Katie Stewart, who annotated that edition of Anne of Green Gables and who co-founded Owl's Nest Publishing. We cannot wait to introduce all of you to Katie. So Alice, how did you enjoy the annotated version? Have you ever read an annotated book before? So I did like the annotations because there were old-fashioned words or phrases, some I just didn't understand. And I liked how the book explained it right there instead of me having to like go to mom or dad or look it up. Like the book used the word pinions, for example, and I wasn't sure what that means, but then the annotations told me that that meant a bird's flight feathers, so it made a lot more sense. I've never read an annotated book before, but I know what annotations were because sometimes in school we've read annotated articles and passages. That makes sense. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Alice. Me too. I keep wanting to talk off the cuff. Sorry, I know I can't control myself tonight. I'm truly just really enjoying getting to talk to Alice about reading this book. This is such a special treat for me. I know. I know. Me too. Well, and you know what? Go off the cuff. We can always cut it out. The beauty of editing, Kelly. Well, what I was going to say was that I often read annotated versions of books that I know really well, even as an adult. I have a lot of annotated copies of classics, books that I read in college or books that I've studied and know really, really well. But I read the annotated versions anyway, because of exactly what you're talking about, Alice. Instead of having to look something up or infer what something means by context, just having it right there on the page is so much easier. It's such a richer experience. So this episode, we're going to be discussing three different Anne of Green Gables inspired graphic novels for our story club. This episode was very much inspired by Alice, who loves graphic novels. Alice has been recommending great graphic novels to me and Reagan for years, and we so appreciate her for broadening our reading horizons. Graphic novels weren't as popular when we were kids, so Alice, you've really opened up a whole new world for us. Alice, tell us what appeals to you about graphic novels. I love graphic novels, and I think it's because I'm a little bit of a visual learner, and it was easier for me to visualize the characters from illustrations than from descriptions. I also like that graphic novels are quick to read, so I can just pick one up and finish it quickly. And if a scene is hard to visualize from writing, I like that a graphic novel really shows what's happening, so I don't have to, like, dawdle or spend a lot of time really trying to visualize. It's just right there. I really credit graphic novels for making Alice such an enthusiastic independent reader when she was younger. They really let her access complex stories at an earlier age and build her vocabulary. I think a lot of when you're learning to read, the books are very basic because they're working with more limited vocabulary. But graphic novels let her build her vocabulary because with the illustrations, she was able to stay engaged even when she was trying to figure out some of the harder words. She really developed a love for reading, I think, through graphic novels initially. In preparation for this episode, we all read three different graphic novel adaptations of Anne of Green Gables, in addition, of course, to the original, and we wanted to see how they stacked up. Let's begin with Anne of Green Gables, a graphic novel, adapted by Mariah Marsden and illustrated by Brenna Thumler. This is the most straightforward adaptation of Ella Montgomery's original. It has the same setting in Avonlea at the end of the 19th century, and it has most of the same characters and story beats as the original novel. 
Mariah Marsden does an excellent job of adapting the story for a more visual medium. Anne is such a chatty main character that I really wondered how that could be effectively conveyed with just a speech bubble. But Marsden manages to capture the essence of Anne, almost always with direct quotes from the book. The graphic novel is a really faithful adaptation of the entire book, from Matthew picking up Anne at Bright River Station all the way through Matthew's death at the end. It includes almost all the major story moments, Anne's dust up with Mrs. Lynde, meeting Diana for the first time, the amethyst brooch, smashing the slate over Gilbert's head, the raspberry cordial tragic tea, saving Minnie May, jumping on Aunt Josephine, the haunted wood, the liniment cake, walking the ridgepole, Matthew's puff sleeve dress, dyeing her hair green, <laughs> the lily maid incident, Queen's Academy, and then grieving Matthew's death with Marilla and making up with Gilbert. A few things are missed, such as the trip to Charlottetown with Aunt Josephine's, um, some of Anne's recitations, and then Miss Stacy and Mrs. Allen, unfortunately, have very small parts. But on the whole, it's very true to the book. And it's really impressive how much of the original book is present in the graphic novel, and how the author and illustrator have worked to give this retelling as much emotional impact as the original book has. Thumbler's illustrations are whimsical and have an almost sketch-like quality to them. I really loved her style, and I felt like it perfectly captured Anne. Like, she's a young girl, so still kind of a work in progress, so that's that, like, sketchy, kind of off-the-cuff quality of the art. But Anne also has such a big and exciting imagination, so that's the rich colors and attention to detail. Thumbler does this thing with light, like light that filters through the trees that's so beautiful. And it's just one of these details that lets you know that we are in Anne's point of view, because you know that Anne would notice all of those things. Thumbler also tells so much in her character's body language. You can always tell how Anne feels by how her body is posed in any given panel. So Reagan and Alice, what did you guys think about this graphic novel? I was actually surprised how much I loved the art in this graphic novel. At first, the kind of spare style took me a moment to get used to, but I really loved how some of the scenes were almost cinematic in the way that they were rendered. I thought they did just a lovely job conveying emotion through the illustrations, the set of Anne's shoulders, the tilt of a head, color, and light. I can see why this book might be a lovely introduction of Anne to new middle grade readers. It has that old-fashioned feel, but within the modern medium of a graphic novel. And I think Thumbler really uses the medium in this almost cinematic way. In one scene, you get close-ups of each character's face, then long shots, panels from each character's point of view, almost the way a movie might be shot, cutting all of those perspectives together. This was the first book I read about Anne, and I really got the whole story from this version. It showed her imagination, and there was a lot of detail. I really liked the rich colors and how they really popped on the page. I liked the art because they aren't trying to make it look photorealistic, but they aren't really trying to make it look cartoony either. It's in their own style that's different from a lot of other graphic novels I've read. Yeah, the art really is a very unique style, and I, I just loved it. But I also really liked how emotional this book was. Even though Anne of Green Gables, the novel, is really dense, Marsden and Thumbler don't shy away from letting a whole page or even two pages just be one moment of beauty or emotion. You can always tell how much weight Anne is giving to a particular moment in this book by how large the panel is. The biggest moments for Anne always have the biggest panels. So to me, they're really using every tool in their graphic novelist toolbox 
to make this story as emotionally resonant as the original novel is. For example, when Anne feeds Mrs. Allen the liniment cake and Mrs. Allen takes Anne out to the garden to console her, it's this big two-page spread with the spirit and fire and dew quote from the book. It's so perfect, and you really understand Mrs. Allen's kindness, Anne's disappointment, and Marilla's loving frustration all at the same time. Did you guys have a favorite part? I love the way that they illustrated the white way of delight. They really captured the beauty of it, and it really helped me visualize what Anne is seeing. I love the page where Marilla is calling for Anne, and she's standing in a field of flowers, and it takes up a whole page. You see how beautiful the land around Green Gables is. Mm, Yes. You know, I just gasped when I opened up that two-page spread of Anne and Matthew traveling down the White Way of Delight. I think up to that point, I was a little like, okay, this is cute. You know, this adaptation is cute. But when I saw that moment, I realized that Thumbler and Marsden were doing something really special and really poignant with this adaptation. And I definitely felt like they were kindred spirits. What do you think the graphic novel did better than the book? Or was there a scene the graphic novel captured particularly well for you? I love the scene. It's after Matthew dies, when Marla and Anne are sitting on the porch and talking about the future. I think it's really beautiful and really conveys the feelings in a way that's better than the book. Yeah, speaking of Matthew, I think the graphic novel actually showed Matthew's internal state really well, and maybe even a little better than the book for me. While Maud. Alice, that's Ella Montgomery, the author. Well, yes, Maud- we like to talk about her like <laughs> she's just our best bud. Our friend. I've her- heard about this, considering <laughs> that I've listened to pretty much all of your other episodes. Oh, biggest fan. So while Maud will tell us that Matthew looked at Marilla, you know, that quote, what's to be done about a man who just looks at you? Here we see him looking at Marilla, and we can see in his face what he's trying to communicate. There's this stunning full-page panel showing Matthew the night he brought Anne home, where he's just sort of sitting in the corner on his bed, head bent, and the rest of the page is this deep gray, which just shows the weight of his sorrow and regret. They really do use the art in such an emotional way. There's a two-page spread further into the book when Diana and Anne are signaling to each other through their windows by the candle. And it's such an innovative use of layout showing all at the same time, each girl, the process of signaling, what the other girl sees. It's a wordless spread. And I just think it's such a great example of the creativity you can use in a graphic novel. And to your earlier point, that's such a great example of the cinematic scope of this book, right? Really making it almost like scene by scene, like you're catching a lot more action than you do from the book. Yeah, I think so. There's another panel I love with Marilla and Anne, and this is when they're returning to Green Gables, having introduced Anne to Diana over at Orchard Slope. Marilla is walking ahead and Anne is trailing behind. Anne is dancing with joy, right? Like she's kicking her heels up and she's all sun dappled and it's beautiful. And then Marilla is sort of fondly looking back at her through the trees. And there's rolling fields of farmland right ahead of them. And all the colors are just stunning. Like the forest is rich with dark greens and purples and the fields are bright, like almost lime green. And the sky is robin's egg blue. I mean, I could just get lost in the beauty of this panel alone. And again, you understand exactly how both Anne is feeling and how Marilla is feeling. So for you, what's something that the graphic novel misses about the book? I know for me, the graphic novel is not that funny. And the original novel is very funny. So I miss that. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I think they do a beautiful job capturing emotion, but I think because of that, they don't quite lean into the humor nearly as much. I also really miss the density of Anne's speech, all the descriptive phrasings and the creative turns of phrase. And I miss the internal nature of Anne's musings. We just don't get quite as much of that here. Yeah. When I first read it, I didn't have anything to compare it to, so I liked it all. But now I realize that in the original book, there are pages and pages of Anne talking. Like on the drive to Mrs. Spencer's, you don't get the same idea of how much Anne really talks. Also in the graphic novel, you don't get one of my favorite lines. She says that Mrs. Blewett looks like a sour apple. She doesn't say Mrs. Blewett looks like a gimlet, and I really like that word. But I guess it makes sense, considering that it's for middle grade readers like me. I didn't know what this is. I had to look it up. We wouldn't know what a gimlet is. So it makes sense, but I still wish that they added it. I love that description, too. It is a fun word. It is a fun word. (laughs) And it really shows kind of the way that Anne has a vocabulary that's so much bigger than her age and her experience would suggest. Right. I mean, that's the thing to remember, right? Anne is, if you are a middle grade reader, you are the same age as Anne, who's only 11. So seeing her use these big vocabulary words, you know, that's a peer of yours. And if you're thinking, oh, I don't know what that means. Well, imagine the other people in her life not knowing what that word means either. Mm -hmm. Well, there are also some modern adaptations of Anne that we want to talk about. Which one do you want to share, Alice? One modern graphic novel about Anne is Anne of West Philly by Ivy Noel Weir and illustrated by Maisha Haynes. So this book takes place in West Philadelphia, as the name suggests, and Anne and the Cuthberts are Black, with a lot of racial diversity at Anne's school and neighborhood, which I really like. It's present day, including smartphones, social media, and texting. Anne is a foster kid and has a talent for coding and STEM subjects. It starts at the foster agency when Matthew meets Anne. Anne is just immediately starts talking, just like in the book. There's no mix-up in this book, but Marilla isn't sure about keeping Anne when she realizes how chatty Anne is, because she likes her peace and quiet. Matthew is less passive in this book, and he is direct about Anne not leaving and with Anne in regards of her mistakes and temper. Instead of the white way of delight, it's an alleyway full of graffiti art. Anne wants to call Marilla Mari because she thinks it's hip, instead of Aunt Marilla. We have a lot of the same moments from the book in this version. She fights with Mrs. Lynde and then apologizes with a lot of drama. She meets Diana. There's the amethyst brooch. Instead of green hair, though, Anne gives herself an unfortunate haircut, but it turns out to look very cool in the end. Josie Pye is a little less mean, but she does start out being judgy about Anne being a foster kid. Diana gets drunk on cherry liqueur truffles instead of raspberry cordial, and Anne is reconciled with Diana's family when she helps with Minnie Mae's sprained ankle. Instead of puff sleeves, it is ugly sweaters to wear at the winter concert, and Marilla's concern is money for something silly and something that Anne would never use again. Anne actually uses her coding skills to turn the sweater that Matthew ends up buying her into a light-up sweater, and everybody is impressed. Gilbert is introduced with hair pulling in class, and Anne slaps him instead of cracking her slate over his head because, you know, modern whiteboards, and then gets sent to the principal's office, though, like the book, Gilbert immediately owns up to his part. Both Matthew and the principal are clear that violence is not acceptable, but that Anne gets another chance, so it's not the same humiliation for Anne as in the original. Gilbert and Anne 
eventually reconcile when they are partners in a robotics project. When they win the robotics competition, they each win a partial scholarship to Queen's Academy Robotics Program. Anne isn't able to go with only a partial scholarship because it's still too much money for the Cuthberts, but Gilbert gives her his half scholarship because he was planning on attending the school anyways. Gilbert confesses his feelings to Anne of liking her, but Anne says that she likes somebody else. Gilbert is cool about it and later asks Anne if she's told Diana she likes her yet. Anne says no because she wants to concentrate on school for a while. At the end of the book, Matthew has a heart attack but doesn't die, thank goodness, and the Cuthberts tell Anne that they want to adopt her. Then we see Anne off to Queen's Academy with Gilbert as her friend, happy with her current life. Did either of you have a favorite part of this book? I think my favorite part was hearing you tell the whole thing. That was a great recap, Alice. Thank you. But I do think my favorite part of the book was probably at the end when Marilla learns that she and Matthew can, in fact, adopt Anne. I really like that this book asked the question of what would Anne be like if she was a modern day foster kid? But then, you know, as an adult, understanding how the foster care system works, the question in the back of my mind was always, well, how does she end up staying with Marilla and Matthew long term? Because family reunification is always the goal of foster care. So I was really delighted for the Cuthberts and for Anne when it did happen that the social worker told Marilla that Anne could stay. I really love the details of the robotics competition, the way we see Anne's creativity and how she designs the course for their robot and uses her storytelling ability to make their project really special. I don't know if I have a favorite part because it's all perfect for me. What do you guys think that the graphic novel did better than the book? I like Anne and Gilbert's academic rivalry a lot better in this story than in the original book, actually. It really takes it to a whole different level because instead of just being rivals, they're forced to collaborate in that robotics competition, right? Their teacher puts them together. So they have to recognize much earlier on what a fabulous team they are. And I really loved how Gilbert saw Anne's creativity as a strength. I also really loved how they were able to explore how Anne and Gilbert go from having a hard time collaborating to building something very cool together using both of their strengths. I think that it did a very great job capturing what Anne's imagination might be like in the modern world. How she's creative in her school work and telling stories even when it's a STEM project. What do you guys think that the book did better than the graphic novel? So... I think the graphic novel, and it's probably just because it's a lot shorter than the book, but it kind of lost track of its characters for me. At one point, we're introduced to Mrs. Lind, but then we never see her again. And same thing with Diana's mom, right? We see her for like a couple pages and then she's not in the book anymore. And so you don't really see anyone enough to know like who is who other than Marilla Matthew and like Anne's friends. Yeah, I think that just is something that has to get sacrificed in a shorter, more visual medium of the graphic novel. And I think that having Minnie Mae sprain her ankle just doesn't have that same kind of intensity that the book has with her dying of croup. It's almost like, really, like this is the big thing that breaks through Diana's mom's prejudice against Anne. I felt like they either needed to leave that bit out altogether or find another way to make it more interesting and impactful. I think a graphic novel just isn't as good as capturing Anne's chatter and how she just talks for pages and pages. It's hard to see why Marilla is annoyed by Anne talking. Like, I can see it. Anne still talks a lot. But I feel like in the book, there's literally one whole page. There's just, like, solid pages of her talking. And 
I guess I see why they couldn't do that because because it's a graphic novel. Like they have less room and less space. But yeah, was there a scene it captured or brought to life particularly well? So with this one for me, I'm actually going to say the same thing I said for the previous graphic novel. I loved the way they illustrated the white way of delight. So as you mentioned, Alice, in this book, there is an alleyway behind Marla and Matthew's house, and it has been beautifully painted by local graffiti artists with like gorgeous flowers and vines spilling all over it and sort of integrating the gardens and the yards of the other people who live on the alley. And Anne is just delighted that she can visit this place of beauty anytime she wants. And she says that living in the city, you have to look for beautiful places everywhere. I also agree with that sentiment. I love the way that Weir and Haynes adapted this detail and how Anne's sense of wonder is the same, whether it's the avenue on Prince Edward Island or an alleyway in West Philadelphia. I like that you can see how Gilbert falls in love with Anne and how he's kind of nervous to tell her. Yeah. Well, with the illustrations, you can see Gilbert's blushing phase and his nervousness that shows how he might be feeling. And we just don't get as much of Gilbert's point of view in the original book. Yeah, he's much more of a character in this book and a lot more well-rounded. I like the way that they make the connection of Gilbert's sacrifice for Anne in this book, right? Where Gilbert gives up his scholarships, that way Anne can go to the STEM Academy, which is very similar to in the book Gilbert giving up the Avonlea School so that way Anne can stay close to home. Yeah, I thought that was a nice way of turning that into a modern equivalent. Yeah, I definitely agree. So for our third and last graphic novel, we have Anne, an adaptation of Anne of Green Gables, sort of, by Kathleen Gross. This is also a modern update of the novel. Anne is a foster kid, and the mix-up at the beginning is not about wanting a boy, but about planning to foster a younger child, not a teenager. Matthew is the handyman of an apartment building called the Avonlea, and Anne is an artist who draws, doodles, and journals. We get a lot of the same story beats, a blow-up and apology with Mrs. Lynde. Gilbert is annoying. Actually, he really harasses Anne in her math class, and she breaks her whiteboard over his head. Miss Stacy is inspiring and starts a zine club that channels Anne's imagination. Anne dyes her hair green with a box of borrowed black hair dye and has to have a super short haircut. Instead of the haunted wood, the girls scare themselves silly with ghost stories at a sleepover. And instead of the lily maid, Anne falls into a fast rushing creek in the ravine just behind the building. And Gilbert pulls her out, but she doesn't forgive him just yet. Diana takes Anne with her to visit Aunt Josephine, who takes them to see a Shakespeare play. Anne and Gilbert eventually reconcile working on a science project together. And Anne falls off the balcony walking the railing on a dare from Josie. Anne gradually discovers that she has a crush on Diana, and they go to the dance together. Anne wearing a dress that she had admired in a thrift store that Marilla had thought was too big and too old for her. Both Matthew and Marilla give it to her and had it altered to fit her. They also tell her they would like to adopt her. Anne and Diana share a sweet kiss at the end of the dance. It's really a lovely version of Anne. The timeline is very compressed. It seems like it all takes place in about six months. By that nature, we lose a lot of iconic moments. Notably, no drunk Diana. And Matthew is in fine health all the way through. The art is very sweet with bright, clear colors, and they really use the zine format and Anne's doodles and drawings to give us that internal thought process we love in the original book. Marilla is actually very understanding and reassuring with Anne, and Matthew is far more proactive. He's not shy at all. This Marilla is far more understanding of the needs of a foster child. She doesn't buy Anne the dress initially, but she lets Anne pick out all her new clothes. She really backs her in regards to breaking the whiteboard over Gilbert's head, and she reassures her that they won't send her away over her mistakes. She gives her sound advice about her crush on Diana as well. 
Anne's growth arcs are related less to mastering her pride and runaway imagination and more about trusting Matthew and Marilla and gradually realizing her feelings for Diana and expressing those feelings. They also spend a lot of time on how Gilbert is really kind of awful to her. You can see that Gilbert thinks he's very funny, but the teasing, poking, and hair yanking go on for quite a few days. Anne really tries to ignore it and handle it on her own. When they're both sent to the principal's office, Anne shares how she's afraid she'll be judged more harshly as a foster child and will be sent away. And that kind of shocks Gilbert about the serious consequences of his actions. Did the two of you have any favorite parts of this version? Well, you kind of alluded to this, but I really loved how Anne's creativity and her imagination was translated in this graphic novel through her writing, drawing, and zine making. Gross does this really interesting thing where she starts every section with a picture that Anne has drawn in her journal. And it sort of gives us that little glimpse into her imagination and into her point of view that made it seem a lot more closely connected to the original book for me. I also feel like I learned a lot about zines from this book. The author shows us how to make a zine, which was very cool. And it explained a lot about zine culture altogether. And you see how Anne processes her life experiences with the Cuthberts in her sketchbook. It's perfectly suited to the graphic novel as a medium, and it gives the readers some of that insight into Anne's imagination from the original novel. I also really loved Aunt Josephine in this book. She is presented as an artist living in Vancouver, and she gives Anne advice about continuing her own art. I love that Anne has Aunt Josephine as a mentor in this story as well. I agree about the zine format. I think that's a great modern update to the story club. I love how Anne's journals and zines really give us some of that interiority that I love in the book. And I think it's a lovely way that her imagination gets a modern twist that stays true to the spirit of her creativity. I also think this is where a graphic novel really uses its unique format and art to lean into Anne's imagination. I really liked at the end at the dance with Anne and Diana dancing together. I think it's so cute. Oh, I also thought it was really cute. What do you think the graphic novel did better than the book? Well, I don't know if it was better. It was certainly different, but I really liked that Anne and Diana's friendship blossomed into a romance. In our episode about Diana, we had discussed whether that romantic language that Maud used to describe Anne and Diana's friendship could have indicated something more than platonic friendship. And I like that this graphic novel just goes there directly. It made this book feel a lot more contemporary and relevant, as it is thankfully a lot more common now for middle school age kids to be exploring their sexuality and gender identity. It also doesn't minimize the friendship between the girls at all, and it adds a really sweetly satisfying ending. Like I already said, I just really love a romance with Diana. Like, they're meant to be. Like, in the book, I don't get how Ellen Montgomery didn't even see it. Like, she wrote it, but she didn't see how they really are meant to be. I've always pictured this in the real book. I really love the version of Marilla in this book. While she's more no-nonsense than Matthew, she's really a wonderful foster mother. She gives Anne a blank sketchbook right away because she notices Anne drawing. She lets her pick out all her own clothes. She's very understanding and really tries to make Anne feel safe and secure. Poor Marilla always gets sort of the short shrift as the early villain a little bit. She doesn't Mm -hmm. stay that way, but she comes off so harsh in so many adaptations. It's nice to see Marilla getting a little bit of a softer, more nurturing start, I think. Yeah. And as you and I have discussed at length, Marilla is actually, book Marilla, original book Marilla is actually a great parent to Anne in her way. So it's nice to see an adaptation that celebrates Marilla. 
Yeah, I think so. Is there something that the original book does better than the graphic novel? I think for me, it's really hard to compare Anne of Green Gables to this graphic novel because they are pretty different. A lot of scenes from the original novel didn't even make it into this adaptation, but I don't really think that the adaptation suffered for it. I will say that one thing I didn't love was pretty much everything to do with Gilbert, especially how he was introduced. He's so annoying for those first few days that Anne is at school. And although he did get better over time, the way he teases Anne for days and days, when in the original book, it's really just that one moment, I didn't like it. And I didn't like that when Anne does tell her friends about it, their response is, well, maybe he likes you. I hate that message that when boys tease girls, it must be because they like them. Oh, that's interesting. I agree with you. I hate that message in general. But I liked how this graphic novel actually uses this as an opportunity to illustrate that particular issue, because I think that's such a common way that people still talk about it. And Anne specifically pushes back on that framing that it doesn't matter if he likes her. He's doing something that really bothers her, and it very much crosses a line. It's not faithful to the book, but I like the more modern discussion of it. I really like how Marilla and Matthew handle it very seriously and really reassure Anne that Gilbert's behavior was not okay and they won't send her away. I thought this was a nice way to have a timely discussion on that trope of boys teasing if they have a crush and change the narrative from the original book in that particular way. Anne only becomes friends with Gilbert well after he's proved he isn't going to tease her anymore. And she's more specific in her reasoning that even a sincere apology doesn't make up for the harm that he caused her. Yeah, I definitely agree. But another thing that I would have liked more is I think I would have liked a little bit more detail about Anne's past because it's modern. What was it like at foster care? I don't think it was as terrible as in the asylum, but I would be curious about that because I really don't bring it up. Yeah, in both of the modern adaptations, they kind of just pick up with Anne coming to Matthew and Marilla's and it's kind of a clean slate. But we know from just understanding what foster care is that it's likely that these versions of Anne have been through several different foster placements or have been with a few different families. Yeah. In this adaptation of Anne, she actually says that she has been in about, I think, 15 different foster homes. I think that would be hard for anybody. What scene do you think it brought to life particularly well? Can I talk about the white wave delight scene again? (laughs) This is Kelly's favorite scene, no matter what adaptation we're talking about. Movies, TV shows, graphic novels. Sign Kelly up. I get you, Kelly. It's such a pretty scene. Yeah, well, that's true. I do. I always do like like the prettiest thing. But I just think that all three of these graphic novels we read handled this scene particularly well. And so in this book, we get to see it twice. Once when Matthew is driving Anne home to the Avonlea apartment building and you just see all the trees in bloom and Anne talks about how romantic it all seems. But then we see that moment again when Anne makes her first zine about going home. She describes the scent of flowers in bloom and she draws those blossoms that she saw on that first drive home. So we get to see how much of an impact that moment really had on her and what a turning point it was in her life. I love that all the graphic novels we read really made a big visual moment out of this scene. And I feel like I actually understand that moment in the novel better now because of what a touchstone moment it was for Anne as a character. I think that the book really captured the chemistry between Anna and Diana and all of their interactions. They were meant to be, as I have said so many times. Like, maybe Ellen Montgomery just didn't know it when she wrote her book. I think that she looked past it because, I mean, they're just, like, meant to be. I've always seen them together. So both modern versions of Anne 
have a romance or at least a crush between Anne and Diana. So I think both of those authors agree with you, Alice. What do you think, Kelly? I really appreciated that both of the modern graphic novels made that space for Anne and Diana to have an explicitly romantic relationship. I know we touched on the possibility of an Anne-Diana romance in our episode about Diana, and we said that we appreciated that you can kind of read their relationship however makes sense to you, whether it's a deep platonic friendship or as a romantic connection, depending on your perspective as the reader. And one thing I'd love to explore more on this podcast, maybe in an episode down the line, is whether Anne as a character is queer-coded. I think we can make the case that she definitely is. One thing I definitely know is that many queer readers over the years have found a kinship with her. So delivering that representation in these modern-day books is really affirming and powerful. Another thing I noticed in both of these modern adaptations of Anne is that Matthew doesn't die. Why do you think that is? All right, here's my theory. I think Because both of the modern books condense the timeline and take place in a single school year or even shorter, it would just be too cruel to have Anne have another tragedy in her already short life. In the original book, Anne and Matthew have five years together to build a healing relationship for Anne. And while his death is so very sad, it isn't terribly surprising considering his age and it's sort of the closing experience on Anne's childhood. In the modern books, Anne and Matthew's relationship is still beginning, and she's not in a place of closing out her childhood yet. She's still only 12 or 13. Tonally, it just wouldn't be the same. Do you have any theories, Kelly and Alice? I agree that it might be because it's a shorter amount of time in the modern books, so they just haven't gotten there yet. Also, in the book, when Matthew dies, there's the reason that Marilla might have to sell Green Gables because she can't farm it on her own. But it wouldn't work in a modern version because Marilla has her own job, so it's not like they're like completely helpless without Matthew being able to farm. I think that's actually really smart, Alice. In a way, Matthew's death in the book forces Anne and Marilla to take ownership of Green Gables in this more active way. They both have to make really hard decisions in order to keep the house, but they do it because of the love they have for the house and for each other. I'm just not sure if there would be a contemporary analog that would make as much sense since, like you point out, a modern day working version of Marilla would be able to provide for Anne with or without Matthew. I also think that some of these authors may have just chosen to omit Matthew's death because it doesn't fit in with the more bright and fun tone of the graphic novels. That's also probably a large possibility as well. Yeah. Today, for our Wander Down the Birch Path, we want to talk some more about graphic novels. Aside from the Calvin and Hobbes comics I devoured as a kid, graphic novels have been an entirely new format for me to read. One of the really cool things about having a kid who's so into them is I get to explore so many new books through sharing them with Alice, and her love for them has given me a real appreciation for this art form. And now there's just an absolute abundance of graphic novels, from the youngest beginning readers to memoirs and biographies exploring deep and difficult subjects. Graphic novels aren't just for kids anymore. I, myself, don't often tend to gravitate towards graphic novels on my own. I'm actually not a particularly visually oriented learner, so I prefer the density of language and an internal experience that I get from traditional fiction. I often find that missing in graphic novels. Sometimes a graphic novel leaves me wanting more, more story, more nuance, more language. But I've come to appreciate how graphic novels can tell interesting, complex, and beautiful stories in a different way 
using the unique perspective as a more visual art form. Well, Reagan, I have had a similar trajectory with learning to appreciate graphic novels, and I definitely credit Alice with always coming through with the good recommendations. For me, I had to learn that it really is a totally separate form of storytelling, and it's not directly comparable to reading a traditional novel. And I also had to learn that you really need to use your senses in a different way to get all the information you need. So instead of reading words that tell you that a character feels a certain emotion, you have to look at their face, their body language, the colors around them, the size of the font, or for like other symbols within the art. It really challenges me to look for additional meaning in the pictures. I remember once reading a graphic novel with Alice, and she was explaining to me the visual cues that told her which character's point of view she was in. I had no idea you could even do that in a graphic novel. Knowing to look for those kinds of things really enhanced my experience of reading and made me appreciate how much more information a graphic novel can convey. But it truly is its own art form. It really is. So Alice and I have some other graphic novels that readers might like if they enjoyed any of these and adaptations. First up, for those of you who love Little Women, we have two graphic novels to recommend to you. One is Meg... Joe, Beth, and Amy, and it is from the same imprint as Anne of West Philly. It's authored by Ray Terciero and illustrated by Brie Indigo. It's also a modern adaptation and it has a very similar feel to Anne of West Philly. The girls are in a multiracial blended family. I bought this for Alice a few years ago for Christmas, and when I picked it up to flip through it, I couldn't put it down till I finished reading it. I was surprised how much I really loved it. Is Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy also set in West Philly? No, I think it's set in New York City. Yeah, I love that adaptation, too. I read through it all the time. You go back and reread it a lot? Mm-hmm. Nice. Another modern adaptation of Little Women is Joe, an adaptation sort of by Kathleen Gross, the same author as our modern Anne adaptation. The art is a similar style to her Anne book, and one of the major plot lines is Joe deciding to come out to her family as gay. Oh, I love that. Interestingly, there is no faithful adaptation of Little Women yet. Only modern takes on the story. So someone get on that. But we do have some adaptations of another classic book, The Secret Garden. Mariah Marsden has again adapted a more faithful version of a classic book with The Secret Garden. And this one is illustrated by Hannah Luchtefeld. The illustration style is softer than the adaptation of Anne. It's very atmospheric. You really get the feel of the moors from the art. Although I think I could have used a little bit more vibrancy in the color palette when in the garden. From the same imprint and author as Anne of West Philly, we have The Secret Garden on 81st Street, another adaptation of The Secret Garden by Ivy Noel Weir and illustrated by Amber Padilla. Instead of the Yorkshire Moors, the book is set in New York City, and instead of a mysterious illness, Colin is struggling with anxiety. There is still the message of how people grieve differently and the healing power of nature, because Mary transforms from someone who lived entirely online to someone who loves the outdoors, with a gardening Instagram, of course. I love that it has a diverse cast of characters that Colin has two dads, one of whom died. I am adding all of these to my list. They sound so great. You can borrow them anytime. We own them all. I had no idea that this was like a thing, that there were so many amazing like contemporary adaptations of graphic novels. Yeah, this is wonderful. Yeah, they've really done a great job with so many of them. I've been delighted to have so many ways to introduce Alice to some of those classics that Mm -hmm. I really loved in my childhood in a way that's 
maybe a little bit more accessible Thanks, at first. Mom. You're welcome. You did a very good job introducing <laughs> me to graphic novels. Uh, yeah, good job. I, I really Gold did. Gold star a... for you, number one mom. <laughs> you heard that here, folks. Yeah, captured forever on the podcast. Alice, we're going to replay that to you when you become a teenager. Yep. <laughs> you know what this reminds me of a little bit, Reagan and Alice, is a long time ago there were there were these comic books called Classics Illustrated, mm. which were exactly like they say. They were comic book versions of classic novels, and they were illustrated by really famous comic book artists at the time. And my dad actually really loved them growing up. He was obsessed with them, and he read all of them. And it came out pretty recently that he actually has not read very many classic novels and (laughs) he just read the comics version he just read the comics illustrated version of it he knows everything that happened in a tale of two cities and (laughs) the count of monte cristo but never actually read those books fair fair listen if they make one of those of moby dick nobody will ever have to struggle through moby dick ever again there you go exactly right it's it's a service for all of us So graphic novels have also really become wonderful new formats for memoirs. El Defo by C.C. Bell was one of the very first graphic novels I ever read to Alice. I had picked it up for myself and Alice was maybe four years old and was curious about the cartoonish looking characters and wanted me to read it to her. The book traces C.C.'s experience from becoming deaf from meningitis at a young age, feeling left out and excluded from the hearing world, and how she eventually begins to think of the clunky hearing aid she has to wear at school as a superpower. Alice and I also read Robin Ha's beautiful memoir, Almost American Girl, and we read it with Kelly and another of our friends in a book club, and we all really, really loved it. It's about the year that Robin's mom moves her without notice from Korea to Alabama when she's 14. This book really opened my mind to how graphic novels could tell just as compelling and rich a story as a traditionally written book. Robin Ha really uses the visual format of the illustrations to convey emotion and the experience of being dropped into a new culture and language. I highly recommend it. Me too. It is so good. Another graphic novel that is an original book, but I think that people who like Anne would would also like, is All's Fair in Middle School by Victoria Jamieson. It's about Imogen, who has been homeschooled by her Renaissance Fair actor parents until middle school. Then she goes to middle school and has to figure out how to fit in and make friends, but still be true to herself in her unconventional life. Imogen makes a lot of mistakes like Anne, but finds a way to connect those two worlds of the Renaissance Fair and middle school. I love fantasy and magic, so I also thought that The OK Witch by Emma Steinkellner might be a graphic novel that Anne would have liked too. It's a book about a girl named Moth Hush who feels like she's never fit in, but she finds out that her family is a long line of witches and has to figure out how to use her magic in a safe way and also have a normal life. Oh, that sounds great. I definitely want to read that one. It's really good. And there's a second one, but like, I hope that the third one comes out really soon because I need it. (laughs) And my last graphic novel I'm going to recommend is New Kid by Jerry Craft. It's about Jordan, who loves drawing cartoons, but instead of art school, his parents sent him to a fancy private school where Jordan is one of the few black kids in his grade. He feels like he doesn't fit at school or back in his neighborhood and has to figure out how to stay true to himself. These books all sound so good, Alice. Thank you so much. And I'm going to co-sign All's Fair in Middle School. That's a really fun one. Of course, I know Alice could recommend books all day. So we will stop here for the moment. 
I think Alice could be a, a book podcaster herself someday. She always loves doing book talks in the school library and recommending books to her favorite bookseller, Taylor, at her favorite bookstore, The Rip Bodice. Yes. Hi, Taylor. I hope that you're listening to this. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so let's ask Alice what her favorite Anne of Green Gables moment is from the original book for our puffed sleeve moment. One of my favorite moments in the book is the Amethyst brooch incident. I love the dramatic story that Anne makes up to tell Marilla. It's not something I would ever do because I think that you would believe me if I told you the truth. But I do love Anne's imagination and how she ends up coming up with this crazy story. Marilla, she tells you the truth and a lie and you don't believe her. Yeah, she got it. She got it every way she asked for it. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. Oh my goodness. So how are we all inspired by Anne this week? I have a great idea to share as something that is inspired by Anne. Hair chalk or other temporary hair dye like colored hair wax. I have a lot and it's fun to add colored streaks to my hair sometimes and then I can just wash it out and I don't have to worry about my hair turning permanently green. But don't worry, it can be temporarily green. (laughs) I love that idea. I feel like if Anne was alive today, she would have loved hair chalk. Adding to our long list of candle company recommendations, which <laughs> <laughs> is just like a perennial over here on Kindred Spirits Book Club. We, we love, love a candle. candle. Candles are the best. I love them too. I recently came across an Etsy shop called Kindred Candle Company. So of course I was instantly like, I have to know all about this. This sounds like perfect for you guys. Some of the names of their candles are, I can't, I'm in the depths of despair. <gasps> Oh my gosh, I need that. I we're need not... this. <laughs> another one is called We're Not Regular Friends, We're Bosom Friends. <laughs> There's another one that's called Drunker Than Diana Berry. <laughs> and my absolute favorite candle name that they have, and this is one of my favorite quotes from the book as well, is Would You Rather Be Divinely Beautiful, Dazzlingly Clever, or Angelically Good? And they have scents inspired by pound cake and raspberry cordial and birches and apple pie and everything that we would associate with Anne. Why have you guys not bought all of these candles yet? I'm working on it. I know. The frustrating thing about being an adult is you can't buy every candle you see. You could if you tried hard enough. <laughs> well, today I'm inspired by having Alice on the podcast. So I'm suggesting that folks find a way to help kids read more books. There are lots of wonderful organizations that get books into the hands of kids who need them, like Book Aid International and Reading is Fundamental. The organization We Need Diverse Books works on a variety of levels to make sure all kids will get to see themselves in the books they read. I know Kelly has volunteered with the organization Reading Partners to help kids develop into confident readers. Or you can donate to your local school's library or maybe just read to some kids you know. There are so many amazing books out there. Sharing them with kids will help them discover their own love of reading. And as we talked about today, there are so many different ways to fall in love with reading, right? It doesn't just have to be picking up chapter books right away. Between graphic novels, amazing picture books. I mean, children's literature has really grown leaps and bounds since Reagan and I were kids. And it's really special to see what all is out there. Thanks for joining us, Kindred Spirits. Please follow us and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts so other Anne fans can find us. You can also follow us on Instagram at kindredspirits.bookclub. Join us next time when we talk with Anne expert, editor Katie Stewart from Owl's Nest Books. Bye, everyone. 